Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. We share good news and godly wisdom to empower you to be salt and light in every season of life. In this episode, Doug shares how to access the wisdom, discernment, and power of God to overcome challenging giants along the way. Learn to put aside distractions, discouragement, and doubt so you can be spiritually fit to withstand attacks from the enemy of our souls. After the episode, check out our show notes on your favorite streaming platform and visit a wordinseasonpodcast.org to download a free 30-day devotional that will encourage you to draw closer to the Lord. If you've gleaned anything from this podcast, would you consider paying it forward with a gift at somebodycares.org? Now let's join our host, Doug Stringer. Last month, my wife and I were flying in from meetings in Dallas, Texas. When we arrived, we went straight to the Dwelling Place Church, where they were concluding their 10C conference with leaders from various countries. Uh, one of my friends, Pastor Bungo from Japan, pulled me aside and, uh, in a very gracious way, says, Doug San Sensei, I'm not sure if you heard, but your wrestling sensei, Noriaki Kiguchi, he passed away in September. I looked at him and thought, really? Because I've been thinking about my wrestling coach. Let me kind of give a little background on this. In 1971, my stepfather, who was in the military, was stationed in Japan. So I went to high school from 1971 to 1974 in Japan. And during that time, I had gotten really involved in football and baseball, but I really, really excelled at wrestling. And one of my coaches uh, was Noriaki Kiguchi, or we called him Kiguchi-san, and for short, his first name, Nori. It's amazing how in just a short period of time, and maybe three years of him coaching me, even during the summers, off school season, we would go to his dojo and uh, became famous Kiguchi-san Dojo, which is known all over the world now for not just for wrestling, but he was one of the founders of the combat wrestling as well as a shuto, which is, uh, was a precursor to uh, what we see as MMA today. And so he's actually in the Wrestling Hall of Fame. When I first met him, he had just received his gold medal from the Greco-Roman Wrestling Pan-American Games. He had other guest wrestling coaches that would come in that would have been gold medalists in the Olympics. So we had a, a, a great, great lineup of instructors and coaches and senseis that helped us excel, not just in our wrestling but also in some basic martial arts. So he had a huge impact in my life. And I've probably shared with you stories in the past where during the 1974 Far East Wrestling Championships, I was considered number one seed in my weight class in wrestling. Although I went to an American high school in Japan, a military school, Norikiguchi was our wrestling coach that would come and work with us. And what a great pleasure. And now I look in retrospect, what a great honor that was. And the influence, the indelible influence he's had on my life and so many others. Again, not just in wrestling or the martial arts, but also in some life lessons. He truly was a sensei to me when I consider that just in two and a half or three years of influence in my life, it left an indelible impact, impression, influence in my life in so many other things, even throughout my life, even at age 65 now. And so when I heard of his home going, I really did process and I was trying to share with my wife. I said, honey, Bungo, Sensei Bungo here from Japan said that Norikiguchi uh, passed away back in September. And all of a sudden, I got really choked up, and I, I, I'm thinking, what's wrong with me? I couldn't speak, and I realized so many emotions came back that we sometimes stuff or forget, but emotions, because of so many 
things that he had taught me and the influence he had in my life in just life lessons that go all the way back even to those Far East Wrestling Championships and predating that through the trainings that he gave to all of us in wrestling and and simple martial arts. And so on the Far East Wrestling Championships in 1974, he expected me to take gold medal uh, for the Far East Wrestling Championships in my weight class. Uh, He expected me also to take uh, a gold medal in the Junior Nationals, which I did not show up for. And and one of my other team uh, members of our wrestling team, who was an understudy with me, ended up getting the gold medal for the Japanese national junior nationals. I thought, that is so amazing. I was so proud of him. And yet, uh, here I was. I didn't show up, and I could have, and I could have possibly won the gold medal for all of the junior nationals in Japan. Yet, that being said, on the first day of the Far East Wrestling Championships in 1974, I remember I fractured my left elbow. We didn't know it was just fractured. It was swollen. It was obviously broken. Something had happened. And uh, we had wrapped it up, and Sensei uh, Norikiguchi-san put ice on it, checked on me throughout the night, as well as other coaches there from our school. And the next day, I remember in a Mr. Miyagi moment, Kiguchi-san looked at me and said, Doug-san, are you sure you want to continue? I only thought about it for a moment, and I realized that I'd come too far to quit. And even though it was throbbing in pain, I didn't know how I was going to be able to continue wrestling with that kind of pain. And when he looked at me, when I said that I've come too far to quit now, he took the bandage off of my left arm, and he put it on my right arm, which was my good arm. And I said, Sensei, what, what are you doing? This is my broken arm. My left elbow is the one that's busted up, not, not the right one. And he looked at me in that Mr. Miyagi moment and he said, Doug, son, everybody know you were injured yesterday, but they will not remember which arm. Wow. Simple things like that. But in seeing that moment, I realized it became a life lesson to me that my desire to win had become greater than my moment of pain. In fact, some of you know the story back in 2015 when I went through the battle with cancer, stage 4 B-cell, 80% aggressive B-cell lymphoma. I remember the walk of faith I had to come through at that time, but I remembered that moment in 1974 that my desire to win, to overcome, had to become greater than my moment of challenge or pain. And that became a t-shirt that my wife put together, quoting me for that, because I always talk about my desire to win must be greater than my moments of challenge. And, and here I was in a fight for my life, and yet it was something I had become a part of me from those life lessons. And that Mr. Miyagi moment with my sensei in 1974, they carried me through 2015. And of course, other things in life as well. But that was a battle that I had to really battle mentally, emotionally, not just physically. So I look back now realizing why all the emotions came up when I heard that Norikiguchi-san had literally passed away back in September. And I always thought of him, talk about him, the lessons I learned from him, that Mr. Miyagi moment, Doug-san, are you sure you want to continue? Oh, and by the way, I ended up taking second all Far East that year uh, and lost first place by one point. But yet, The feed in that was not the fact that I won first or second or third or anything. It was the fact that the lesson for me was that even in my pain, even in my challenges, that that I wanted to win. I'd come too far to quit. I wanted to win so much that my desire to win had to become greater than my moment of challenge or pain. And that has become something, a part of my life lesson even today. And I encourage you today that no matter what you're going through, no matter what challenges come your way, there is one who lives in you, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gives you the strength because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you to help you to overcome any obstacles, any giants, anything in the way, any distractions, any pain. 
any disheartening moments, any discouragements, any brokenheartedness, you can overcome this moment because there's life beyond the moment of what you're going through. And so when I was sharing that what Pastor Bungo told me from Japan, I was sharing with my wife and I got choked up. I, I realized now there were so many emotions bottled up in that two and a half, three years of training in wrestling and simple martial arts back in Japan that Norikiguchi-san, Sensei Norikiguchi, or Noriaki Kuguchi, if you look him up, I think the only Japanese wrestler who's in the American Wrestling Hall of Fame in Stillwater, Oklahoma. In fact, I was reading a piece about him as I looked it up. It said that the martial arts world lost a legend. He goes on to say that he was the founder of combat wrestling, and his contributions to wrestling, grappling, submission wrestling, and MMA can't be overstated. Combat wrestling in Japan is Japan's version of submission wrestling. And unlike the popular forms of freestyle or Greco-Roman, combat wrestling is a hybrid form of wrestling in which a match can end via points or tap out due to submission holds. This particular writer says that Kiguchi was the founding father of combat wrestling. And although he was a decorated freestyle wrestler, Kiguchi won the 1969 U.S. Freestyle Wrestling Championship. In the same year, the legendary Kiguchi also had a hotly contested match with American wrestling icon and legend Dan Gable in Gable's hometown of Waterloo, Iowa. Later, along with Satoru Sayama, uh, who is a former professional wrestler and who had graduated from the Japan Pro Wrestling Dojo. He and Norikiguchi-san actually established and developed a new style of what is called Shuto, which at the time was a revolutionary style of new martial arts, or was dubbed new martial arts. Together, both uh, Sayama and Kiguchi would go on to evolve Shuto into a mixed martial arts promotion predating the UFC. I shared all that because it's still fresh in my mind and to realize that out of just under three years of influence in my life, it has had a lifelong impact on me. Uh, and I still to this day consider Noriaki Kiguchi or Norikiguchi-san a sensei in my life. I don't know where his faith was, I do know this, that some of the life lessons I learned, the practical lessons and the disciplines in wrestling and exercise and simple martial arts that I learned has really affected my life throughout all these years. When I say simple martial arts, I'm not talking about the religious side and all the philosophical side. I'm talking about just basic te techniques of Aikido or Shorenji Kempo or Judo and those kinds of things that I incorporated into wrestling, helping me to excel in that sport uh, during my high school years and some a little bit afterwards, but also carried over into my disciplines when I went into the fitness business later and, and even throughout ministry, just realizing and even reminded of the scripture in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. So the question is for me every day, and I would ask you today is, what are some of those things that you're wrestling with? What are the principalities that you're facing today? What are the principalities, even corporately, that we're facing in our nation and around the world in the global pandemic and in the increase of divisiveness and in the increase of challenges? Many people's hearts are failing them out of fear, out of, out, out of stress, out of anxiety. So many are struggling with these unseen principalities that take hold of our hearts, thoughts, lives, emotions, and affect our relationships, including our marriages, relationships with family and friends. There's so many things that, that are external 
that we don't see that influence what happens to us internally and then ultimately how it responds to those around us by the way that we carry those things and those principalities, the unseen principalities of this world. In fact, the scripture says very clearly, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 5, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, when I think about this, we I know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but there are some principles here that I understand. Even wrestling, when, when Jacob wrestled with God, he came in strong in his own physical strength, but emotionally he was handicapped. Uh, he was handicapped with, gripped with deception and fear and anxiety and what ifs and things of his past that he carried into that moment. Though physically he was strong, he had all kinds of of resources and things that he owned and there were so many things that he had acquired and yet he was handicapped spiritually. He was handicapped internally, emotionally. And so when he went and crossed the fort of Jabbok, which is the place which means total surrender, and he entered into the place called Pinal, where he wrestled with God and he prevailed. What it means is that he wrestled with God, but he left that place a different person because God had created a limp in Jacob. So Jacob came in his own strength, but he left there prevailing with God and the angel of the Lord because now he no longer walked in his own strength, but with the limp of God that created a health and a strength in him that was far greater than all the strength of his own in the past. And that's a whole other teaching we can get into. But we see here that his name was then changed from Jacob to Israel. In our lives, even though we try to walk in our own strength, we we try to wrestle life, we try to, to take care of things in our own capacity, our own intellect, our own wisdom, our own abilities, when we surrender to the Lord, that place of total surrender to God, like at that place of the Fort of Jabbok, and then we come into that place of Pinal where we actually are confronted by God to deal with the internal conflicts of our lives, to deal with the things of our past, to deal with our emotions, our insecurities, our pride, our self-absorption, our self-righteousness, or whatever those things might be, when we are confronted by God, He changes us. And though we may walk in a limp in the natural, we now walk with greater capacity and strength because as the Word of God says, that His strength is made perfect in our weaknesses. So even though we might be weak in, in our own capacity, we're made stronger by the grace of God, the abounding, great, and amazing grace of God. And so when He left that place, He was no longer walking in his own strength, but now with the limp of the Lord, that which gave him the grace to be able to handle all that God had now placed on him. He couldn't change his past, but confronted with who he was on the inside and that place of his own strength, and now having to be confronted with God, the angel of the Lord, now realizing that where I go from here cannot be in my own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. And that's true for all of us, isn't it? I believe that we have to be reminded that though we walk not according to the flesh, that we are people of the spirit, we still have to live in the natural realm. But there are spiritual contexts of principalities that have to be dealt with. There are things that are going on around us that we have to bring every vain imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and submit it to the word of God and to the character, nature, and word of God. 
God and the Spirit of God. When I think about the things I've gone through in all my life, even through the ministry years of the last 40 years, I've gone through a lot of human frailty. I've, I've gone through dealing with my own insecurities. And in fact, every morning, one of my prayers is, God, you are my deliverer, deliverer from my fears and insecurities, deliverer from my enemies, deliverer from those who misunderstand me, deliverer from besetting sins or, or sin and temptation, deliverer from my own insecurities and fears. There's a lot of things that can become handicaps in our lives if we hold on to those things of our past. But every day when I bring it before the Lord in total surrender to God, God is able to do a work and bring a grace on my life that it could never happen on my own strength, in my own wisdom, in my own thinking, my own self-righteousness or self-absorption. I can't live my life every day in the strength of Christ if I'm carrying the weaknesses of my flesh and through the conflicts, the internal conflicts that even sometimes are brought on by the external pressures or stressors of life. I realize that true joy and true peace has to come in knowing who I am in Christ, that Christ in me, the hope of glory, can help me to walk in the place of perfect peace, perfect joy and strength, and perfect, perfect sense of God's uh, joy that brings me the strength that I need. I've quoted before, and I talk about the mark of the Lord, because I think that one of the things I learned in physical wrestling and, and exercise and being back in the fitness business days and the disciplines I've had to learn, I've applied them into my spiritual life and into my practical life because it, we learn from those life lessons. We learn from those things and we can apply them. But I also recognize that I'm battling an unseen realm. So when I used to be able to see my opponent in wrestling or even when I used to box, that, that if I saw my opponent... I would have to have a strategy on how to win that battle or how to win the fight or not to be hit or how, how not to be taken down or pinned. But when we're dealing with unseen forces and, and the spiritual dynamics in which we're living today, we can't win according to our own human wisdom. We need the wisdom of God, the discernment of God. We need the presence of God. We need the power of God because we cannot do this on our own. We need God in our camp, in our corner, in our side. We need the wisdom and the guidance of God to lead us through the valleys and the obstacles and overcome the mountains and overcome the giants in the way. We cannot do it in our own strength. And I love where the scripture says that I think Paul says bodily exercise profiteth little. But, you know, he doesn't say that it profiteth nothing. He means it profiteth little in comparison to needing to have our spiritual muscles and have our, our spiritual growth taken care of. In fact, I love what the book of Jude infers to is that we need to be spiritually prepared. We need to be spiritually fit. And I equate that into even my disciplines of exercise. If I'm going to gain results in my exercises, then I have to be disciplined in the way that what I eat, in my consistency uh, going to the gym or exercising, whatever it may be in your life, whatever uh, activity you do to get some bodily exercise. But that's only you get our temple in a place that we can receive what God is trying to do internally and spiritually in our lives. But it's most important, though, to be spiritually fit. And in the days in which we live, we have got to be spiritually fit. In fact, the book of Jude says that there would become a spiritual battle and an increase of apostasy, false teachers, and teachings. And there would be an increase of attacks on the church, even on, the, on God and His Word and His church. We see that being lived out today. I remember the quote by William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, and he wrote this in the late 1800s. He said, I consider that the chief dangers which confront the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, 
Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. See, I believe the Lord is shining His light of the Holy Spirit uh, first upon us, His church, and then identifying the dross and the rubbish in our personal lives as well as the church to purge us and to refine us in preparation for the days ahead. I believe that the Lord is searching throughout the church with what I call the lamps of the Holy Spirit and marking those who are settled in compromise and complacency. In fact, Zephaniah 1.12 actually says, Go through Jerusalem with lamps and expose those who have been settled into complacency or compromise. So I see that in my spiritual context that God is saying for the Holy Spirit to go through His church through our lives and shed light on those areas that are dormant, complacent, and compromised, that we would be awakened from those places and realize that we have an opportunity in this moment to let His light shine in such a way that others can see Christ in and through us in His church. In fact, it goes on to say in Ezekiel 9, 4, it talks about searching out and marking those who have been weeping for all the detestable things that are happening in the church. So Zephaniah 1, 12 and Ezekiel 9, 4, both are really talking about marking those who've been compromised, doing detestable things in the name of the Lord, or doing things in the hidden place. You've heard me say for nearly 40 years, and I've written about it many times, that it's what we do behind closed doors when nobody else can see that determines the power of God or lack of it in public. See, even what we do behind closed doors, maybe others don't see it, but God always sees and God always knows. And He wants us to be marked. He wants to mark us, expose those things by the Holy Spirit that might have become complacent or compromised in our lives so that we can have the mark of the Lord and not the mark of this world. So as I said earlier, the book of Jude reminds us that we're in a spiritual battle. We need to be spiritually prepared and spiritually fit. In fact, I wrote an article a few years ago, Are We Spiritually Fit for the Days Ahead? Because I believe it's an important message that we need to live out even now. God was speaking to me and speaking to many others years ago, and here we are walking it out right now that were we really spiritually and physically, mentally, emotionally prepared for what we're living in today. Many are becoming discouraged. I see so many leaders that are becoming so full of anxiety and stress that they want to quit. I see so many Christians that are even allowing divisiveness in their homes, their families, their marriages, their friendships. Even leaders in the church that used to be so close and friends allowing the secular stressors and influencers, external stressors, to influence our relationships that have now tried to divide and conquer the church. Church, we cannot be divided. A nation cannot stand when it's divided amongst itself. And we see that happening lived out in the natural realm in our country and in various parts of the world. People are so divided. And especially those of us that call upon the name of the Lord, I don't care if you're black, white, brown, red, yellow, whatever background you come from, that in the Lord, we have the centrality of the cross. We should be Christ-centric. We should be those who fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And let us not forget that great joy of our salvation and the privilege of His calling. But yet we have allowed the politics and allowed the world and allowed the divisiveness and those in Hollywood and music and entertainment. And we've allowed the so-called experts of the day and societal pendulum swings to divide us, the church. We have a common bond that is higher than all and bigger than all the things that we might go through. We need each other. You know, the 12 tribes of Israel, they had their distinctions, but they were still Israel. 
And just like that, we might have different styles of worship, come from different ethnic backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, but in Christ, we have so much more in common. Let us not forget not to let the world to diminish with false teachings and let the world take away from us the very power of the gospel. We have the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We have the fullness of the Lord, the fullness of joy, the fullness of peace, the fullness of, in fact, the fullness of peace that surpasses all human comprehension. We have so much in Christ, and yet we're letting the world dictate to us our response and allowing things to divide and conquer us when we need to be coming together. In these days of increasing apostasy and false teaching, those who love God's truth will be derided for speaking the truth, and we see that happening. But this cannot stop us from the work of the kingdom which we're called to. We must speak His word, share His love. I'm always saying, speak the truth in love, seasoned with grace, but speak the truth nonetheless. We cannot be discouraged by what we see around us, and we cannot be retreating into our holy huddles and disengaging from a world that is so desperate right now. They desperately need to see the light of Christ living in you and me. I know I belabor this scripture, Matthew 5.16, over and over and over, but it says, Jesus said in his own words, Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and bring glory to your Father in heaven. We must be fully prepared mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. We must be fully engaged. We cannot be compromised and complacent at a time when the world desperately needs hope and that hope of glory, Christ Jesus in you and me. We need to have our eyes fixed ahead and our hand to the plow ready to work in the harvest fields that are before us. Let's put aside all of our distractions and divisiveness. Let's put aside off our discouragement. Let's not be double-minded anymore or doubting. Let's realize that our hope is still in Christ, the hope of glory Christ in us. Courageous leadership, I've said this many, many times, written about it in my book, Leadership Awakening. Courageous leadership does not acquiesce to public opinion or what is popular at the time, no matter the personal benefit or gain, but with sensitivity and compassion, it adheres to a love for the truth. And you've heard me say over and over that we cannot be moved by the spiritual swings of the societal pendulums. We are to be an anchor. We are to be the plumb bob or the plumb line of God's righteousness. How can people find a semblance of hope and find a place to look to if we're swinging with them? We need to be stable. We need to go deeper in consecration, higher in expectations in the Lord. And then I just want to say, because I know just this past December 1st, the National Day of Repentance, and many have been praying at the Supreme Court. There's so much going on right now with looking and reevaluating Roe versus Wade and, and you know, people saying it's my choice, my body, my choice. And yet that only applies in certain situations because obviously it doesn't apply in others. If It all depends on what your ideology is. And I won't get into that right now. But the point is that it's it can't be selective righteousness. It can't be selective politics. It can't be selective ideology. Either it's true for all or it's not. And I, as personally, I believe the importance of choosing life. And scripture tells me, I've put before you today, life and death, choose life. The guy, God gives me the answer for that, choose life. But also I believe that choosing life is at the place of even scientific proves that life begins at conception. It's in the womb. And that's not to be argued, at least in true science, that life begins at conception. 
And yet we've made this argument about this season in that nine-month period within the womb. And, and even to the point now where it used to argue that people have a right to have an abortion, but at the same time, it used to be not even considered even a possibility that you would, you would kill a child coming through the womb. And yet today, there are many who would prefer to let even a baby die uh, after being aborted, and if it's still alive, to let it die. Or even to all the way to the third trimester, even to the very late term abortion. I mean, who would have thought 20, 30 years ago, even 10 years ago, that that would even be something considered by our politicians, that a child could be aborted that's uh, even at the form of late term, where that baby is about to be born, but up until that moment, it can be aborted. To me, that is gruesome, and it reminds me of the sacrifice that are made before the table of demons rather than the table of the Lord. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, we can read that. It says very clearly, you cannot sacrifice at the table of demons and the table of the Lord. In other words, you can't have you can't sacrifice things that belong to the world and want to come and have communion with God. We either are, are making godly sacrifices on the table of the Lord through communion because of what Christ has done for us, or we are going to be like the world. The Bible says that, that there is no such thing as carnal Christians. We are living either carnally or spiritually. Now, I can't live according to the Spirit by my own works of goodness, but yes, I need the grace of God. But I'm not going to justify by excuses and justify my sins to somehow accommodate my flesh. You know, I love my family. I love my wife. I love people. So I'm not going to go out and intentionally do things that break their hearts. Now, we do that, I'm sure, and we need the grace of God in our lives, but we don't intentionally want to go out and harm people. We don't intentionally want to go out and break someone's heart. We don't intentionally want to go and do things that are contrary to showing love. We need to be people who truly walk in the love of God, uh, and we also want to walk in the goodness of God and the compassion of God. We can only do that by the grace of God. That being said, I cannot justify my actions or make the excuses to justify sin when I'm supposed to be a man of the Spirit and walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Isaiah chapter 1, I've shared this for many, many years, because it talks about God doesn't even regard our raising of our hands to pray, our gatherings, our, our get kumbayas, our get-togethers, our conferences, our numerous prayers, our sacrifices, because we've allowed the shedding of innocent blood, we've overlooked justice, and neglected the orphan and the widow. You can read that on your own later, but Isaiah 1, verse 11 through 20, and I've shared this on many, many previous occasions. But when I think about that, here we, they, God's saying, I'm not, I'm not even regarding all the raising of your hands to pray. I'm not regarding all these extra sacrifices you make. I'm not regarding all your get-togethers and gatherings and conferences and kumbayas. Not because God doesn't want us to pray and to be in His presence, but because we do it for the wrong reasons. Because the Bible says that obedience is better than sacrifice. God wants us to walk in a place of simple obedience, which is the highest form of worship to God. And the first time the word worship is ever used in Scripture, the point of first reference, is not in the context of singing or instruments. It's the context of obedience to God. So we are to be living worshipers who walk daily and surrender ourselves to the Lord. But it says in Isaiah 1, verse 11 through 20, in other words, he says, stop sinning, cease to do evil, learn to do right, promote justice, give the oppressed reason to celebrate, take up the cause of the orphan, defend the widow. You see, personally, as many of you know, I value what I believe are biblical principles of life, the sacredness of marriage, the protection of our liberties and freedoms, 
If we no longer value life in the womb, then we will no longer value life that is deemed less worthy to some, such as those who may have physical or mental limitations or or those who have entered the golden years of their lives. In fact, Deuteronomy 30 verse 19 that I alluded to earlier, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Deuteronomy 30 verse 19. You see, all kingdoms, principalities, and rulerships are subject to the preeminence of Christ, Colossians 1, 9 through 18, who gives authority to his church to make known his manifold wisdom, Ephesians 3, 10. Let me say that again. All kingdoms, principalities, and rulerships are subject to the preeminence of Christ. That's Colossians 1, 9 through 18 who gives authority to his church to make known his manifold wisdom. That's Ephesians 3.10. See, choices do make history. Because remember, those who tell the story will define the narrative and create the history. We have the greatest story yet to tell because we'd overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. What's the narrative that we want to present in our personal story, in our corporate story in the world today? What's the history we want to create as we define the narrative? Our nation's story, and thus our history, will be greatly defined by whether we make our choices from personal preferences or biblical principle and mandates. It's our moment. I really believe that. Don't let the enemy divide and conquer us. Let us recognize we're a part of something greater than ourselves. It's time to mend our net, be the net that really works, so we can be be cast by the Lord and bring in a great harvest. Daniel 2, verse 20 through 22 says, For wisdom and might are His, that's God, and He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. That's God. So if God is light, God is love, God is truth, then if we expose everything in our lives before his presence, he will take out and purge all the dross, all the things that have weighted us down so we can be free to be who God's called us to be. I really believe the Lord is doing something fresh in all of us. And I do believe that it's important for us to recognize that there is a battle and we need to be engaged. And we, yes, we need to be engaged in all the cultures of our society, including being engaged in education and media and music and politics and all those things. But don't let those things be the things that actually define and dictate who we are. Let Christ in us do a work of influence in all the spheres of the culture. Let us not be those who become carnal by mingling our seed with the things of the world, but let us be those who truly impact the world around us. Because we live in this world, but we're not of this world. We're of another kingdom. Let us truly be a, a city set on a hill. Yes, we live in particular cities, be it urban or rural. We live in certain states, live in certain countries. Those are listening from other countries. We live in these places, and we have a responsibility to pray for the peace in where we dwell. But And we need to be engaged in the culture where we dwell. But remember this, we're not of this world. We're of the kingdom of our Lord. We're part of something greater than ourselves. We can cross our racial, denominational, generational lines, meet at the cross of Christ, because we still are part of something bigger than ourselves. We will not always agree, but we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against each other. We are to pull down those vain imaginations that exalt itself against the knowledge of God. Let us bring back our thoughts, bring back our hearts, bring back our lives into the place of the great joy of our salvation 
and the privilege of His calling upon our lives. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.